you're only a champion when you earn it, like earn those stripes. And I really think it's an adversity that you earn that title. When and so when I was had to when I kept swimming, I was now choosing to turn obstacles into opportunity. I said, okay, well today is the day you're going to prove your champion, which means you take every obstacle and turn it into success. So I said, anything that happens today that's bad or seemingly bad, let's make it a positive because that's what champions do. And this is where you really earn your title. Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hey, Feisties. I have a very special guest I'm super excited about. Ever since we talked, I can't stop thinking about some of the things that she said. So this is actually an ex-colleague. Is that the right word? It's someone I used to race against a lot. She was um, slightly older than me, so ahead of me on in the Ironman game when I first started. She was almost kind of unknowingly a mentor to me in a way because she had just the most positive attitude and I say that unknowingly because I would literally read about her in magazines as as I was kind of a, an up-and-coming pro. Um, one year at Ironman Canada, it was the 30th anniversary of Ironman Canada. And um, my guest, by the way, is Lisa Bentley, for those who um, I will tell you all about her in a moment. But for those who know her, um, she was we came out of the water together. So 30th anniversary of Ironman Canada. Imagine there's like lots of press there. They had invited some like past champions to the race they were making a big to do about it anyway and I was I wasn't totally unknown but I was kind of unknown definitely not expected to be a factor in the race and I had just come off this um, altitude camp in Switzerland so I was I was ready to race and Lisa and I came out of the water together and then she put two minutes into me um, on uh, one of the big climbs at the back of the bike course and for the next I'd say six hours I spent like maybe a minute and a half behind her, <laughs> right up into the finish line. I think we we're about two minutes apart at the finish line. So I know what the back of her looks like very, very well. And then for the next year, my focus in training, I always imagined her. She doesn't even know this. I didn't tell her this in the interview. I'm just telling you all. <laughs> um, so I just sort of in my mind chased her like if I was doing running intervals or whatever I would always be sort of like overtaking Lisa in my mind um, and then the next year uh, we both raced again at RMA Canada and we finished fourth and fifth and that year I overtook her on the run course and she 
I remember thinking how much class this woman has. She, when we went up onto the podium, she like personally wanted to give me my award because of this kind of personal battle that we had. And so I always kind of appreciated that and I'm excited to have Lisa on the show today. So for those who don't know, Lisa Bentley, she's a Canadian professional triathlete. She raced for 20 years. In the course of her career, she won 11 Ironman races, 11 70.3 races. Apparently 11 was her lucky number. She had several top five finishes at the Ironman World Championships in Kona. She represented Canada on multiple national teams at the Pan American Games and was ranked top five in the world for over a decade. And she competed at the highest level in triathlon despite having cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic lung disease resulting in chronic infections and limited lung capacity. So Lisa and I talk about the cystic fibrosis quite a lot, but when we talk, so I won't give it away too much, but this is a disease that is debilitating and leads to major limitations for many people. And somehow Lisa, through what sounds like some major... I would say mental strength skills came to understand her cystic fibrosis as a gift. She herself even said without cystic fibrosis, I don't think I would have won 11 Ironmans. Her mindset is truly inspiring and I can't stop thinking about, like I said, some of the things she said during the interview. So after a word from our sponsor, let's hear from Lisa. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. 
I've been taking amino acids for almost a year and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. So how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am great. I'm great. I was trying to remember when the last time I saw you was. It's been a while. And uh, you know what's incredible is just visiting the Live Feisty website and seeing how you built this business is incredible. So the first thing I have to say is congratulations to you and your team. And you truly do have a team. My team just consists of my husband and my dog. And, uh, and I've been in business longer than you have. So congratulations to you. Oh, well, thank you. I was also on your website today and was very <laughs> impressed. And I have some follow-up questions from some of your videos. So <laughs> I'm excited. But one thing we've been talking about a lot on the podcast, where it's sort of come out um, with a lot of the women I'm interviewing, is like around like our identity as an athlete. Like, do you remember when you first started to identify as an athlete? Like, were you always kind of that way, like an athletic child? Or how did that come about? I was not an athletic child. I was an academic for sure. The goal was university scholarship mm-hmm. and everything I did revolved around that, including at that time getting up at 5 a.m. so I could study. And it's mm-hmm. ironic how that switches to now getting up at 5 a.m. so I could swim. But at the time, that's that, you know, it was all about studying as hard as I possibly could so I could get a scholarship and go to university. And then adding irony more to that was the fact that I got offered a few scholarships and I took the smallest one. <laughs> so it clearly wasn't about the money. It was more about going to university. Like oh, and, having a landmark of some kind. That's very yeah. interesting. <laughs> so I, I don't think I really started to identify as an athlete until I threw myself into it full time, which was 1999. I mean, I, I never really thought of myself as an athlete at all. And I even say that really in my book and in my talks is my, my I remember saying to my grade eight uh, teacher I'm so excited I'm an athlete you know because I ran track and mm-hmm. he said oh you're not an athlete Lisa you, you're just active and um oh and so I I really didn't identify as an athlete probably until I won an Ironman <laughs> you know, to be oh. honest. And, and now I now I can't stop identifying as an athlete <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking that I've got an upcoming race. Yeah, that's wow. Until you won an Ironman, like, do you, how do you feel about that comment from your ex-coach? I mean, if you were running track, you were an athlete, like what, what, um, do you wish that you had seen that sooner or do you think it would have changed anything? I don't think it would have changed anything. I I don't, I mean, I was a high school math teacher for the first, Mm -hmm. for the first seven years. Well, I was a math teacher for seven years, but I started triathlon at 89. So 
uh, I, I was a full-time math and computer science teacher all the way till 1999. And by that stage in my career, I'd been to the Pan Am Games and multiple world championships and even come in top 10 in Hawaii. So I still, you know, I was a teacher. That's how I identified. I don't know if that would have changed if someone had said something to me sooner. I never thought of a career in sport. It didn't make sense to me. I, my career, you know, my goals were to be a great teacher, to one day be a mother and um, to be an athlete. I mean, that just was so outside of the realm of possibility. And yet, ironically, I went in that direction because my doctor for cystic fibrosis said to me, you should be doing this full time. What are you doing trying to balance full time teaching and sport? Like you can be teaching whatever you want. And you got to go and do this triathlon thing full time. And I can guarantee you my CF doctor has never had that conversation with another patient. <laughs> but that was really the kick, the kick I needed. It didn't come from a coach. It didn't come uh, from a colleague or a mentor in sport. It came from my CF doctor to say, it's time to be a full-time athlete. What an interesting story. Okay, so you're a full-time high school teacher at this time. And then you're also, I'm assuming you're doing, if he's encouraging you to go full-time, I assume you're doing quite well here. Had you won Ironman at that point? I had not won an Ironman yet, uh, but I was, you know, going to St. Anthony's for a race on the weekend, you know, I was dabbling in the, like quick little trips. So I was going and, you know, coming in top three or top five or whatever at different races. I went to Ironman New Zealand and came in third, Ironman Canada came in fourth. Hawaii came at night. So I was, you know, I was doing all that, but, you know, showing up for work the next day. Right. Yeah. Thanks <laughs> solid results. Like that, like ninth in Hawaii or like podium in an Ironman, you know, like, wow. So, okay. Yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, really it was more just me saying to the doctor, you know, I'm so tired. <laughs> and, and she's like, of course you're tired. Like you're basically racing Sunday in in the United States and then you're teaching calculus at 8 a.m. on Monday morning like what are you doing like and that's why you're getting sick all the time you know here and you've got cystic fibrosis you're getting sick all the time so you know you're of course you're teaching you're picking up everything from students yeah and so it really was sort of that and it was quite funny for me to say to her oh I'm so stressed out and exhausted you know I've got this glowing tan from being in Florida in April and, and so, I mean, I didn't look that stressed out. I just looked tanned and tired. Right. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, that was really the kick that I needed. And so I actually started to teach part-time at that stage. So I would teach uh, two courses a year. And then I was teaching computer science. And now this is back in 1999. So you have to put your 1999 hat on. Yeah. And I started to teach over the internet, which wasn't normal back then. So I would have my classes in a chat room and the way my students would submit homework was by building a web page again, not normal in 1999. And so, you know, I was at Hawaii Ironman racing and I'm going, you know, online and chatting with my students again, not normal, <laughs> but that's what, that's what I did. And then eventually I, I resigned from teaching and threw, threw myself full time into sport. Right. What a, I, I'm just going back to the cystic fibrosis doctor who is to, you know, like a lot of us have an experience of having some medical issue or even like a normal, not even a medical issue, like be it getting pregnant or going through menopause and having a, a doctor or someone else in that kind of role say, oh, actually you should dial it back. Like you should do less. Right. So what was it like, how did your doctor end up seeing that, you know, you being a full-time athlete could be positive for your, like alongside your diagnosis with cystic fibrosis? 
she probably thought, um, I mean, there's no question that sport has helped my health, which again, would be hard for people to understand. But of course, pushing yourself to the brink is never good for your health. So it's that balance between fit and healthy. Uh, and certainly when you're at the you know peak training, your immune system is compromised so you can get more sick, uh, sick more often. So yes, I was exposed to illness and yes, I got sick a lot, but the, uh, the side effect of all the sport was it made my lungs really strong. And it also helped me to clear mucus out of my lungs because I was always breathing hard. <laughs> and when you're able to do that, you just don't get as many chest infections, which are so relatable to CF. So for someone who's a non-athlete with CF, they're doing physio constantly for their lungs, breathing exercises, um, tapping their chest. I don't have to do any of that because I'm constantly moving my lungs and my, and my rib cage and doing that naturally by swimming, biking, running, et cetera. So when I was finally, you know, when I, uh, I had to spend some time in hospital with a bad chest infection, uh, every doctor that came in, you know, said you're as healthy as you are because of your sport. And, and, and when I retired from racing, my CF doctor said, I expect your health to decline. You know, that was really her reaction to my retirement was you're not going to be exercising your lungs to the full capacity anymore. So we do expect you to be less healthy. And of course I hear that and I'm like, well, I'll keep, you know, I'll run intervals two times a week. I'll do something like I have to stay healthy. And uh, so, I mean, for me, exercise and CF go really hand in hand for me to maintain good lung health. Yeah. How interesting. Okay. Just for our audience too, in case folks don't know, like what is CF and how does it affect you? So cystic fibrosis is a genetic lung disease and it causes an abnormal amount of mucus to accumulate in the lungs. And that in itself leads to chronic lung infections, lung damage, then ultimately lung transplant and, you know, early death in many cases. Uh, So in 1980, which is just 40 years ago, the average lifespan was 12 years. And yeah, so now it's 50, which is fantastic. So, uh, and there's just great stuff happening with CF right now, like really great stuff. So, and, uh, you know, people are getting lung transplants and surviving, you know, again, 30, 30, 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't happening. 10 years ago, that wasn't happening. So um, basically it's, you know, your lungs are compromised more prone to infection. So I get sick quite a few times a year. uh, And there's never a common cold for me. It's always infection, antibiotics, and then hopefully that kills it. So um, I I hurt my ribs four weeks ago, I fell and I bruised my ribs. And so the next step there was a lung infection, because I can't breathe properly, I can't cough properly. So it just sits there and then I'm sick. <laughs> so it's, it's never just, uh, it, there's, you know, always going to be little complications. But again, uh, I've always said that without CF, I don't think I would have won 11 Ironman. So it's, uh, it's given me a lot of purpose in my life. So it's the way it goes. <laughs> That's so interesting. So I have so many questions. Okay. So during COVID here, did you feel recently, did you feel vulnerable? I did. How did you approach it? Yeah, I was pretty scared. Uh, mainly, I mean, we all didn't know. And um, and I didn't want to get sick. I mean, I don't think I ever really thought that I'm going to die. Uh, but 
when I got, you know, the worst sickness I had was in 2010. And I got the flu in July. And I remember it well. And and we were probably racing together, actually, at the time. I remember doing um, the 70.3 in Calgary in 2009. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm doing lung therapy before. And I was just sick. Anyway, I got a flu. And the flu led to a chest infection. And the chest infection never got got gone. And I got immune to the antibiotics. And it just was this vicious cycle. And my lung capacity went from 100% to 55%. And now not right away, but over the span of six months. And um, that all stemmed from getting the flu. So in the back of my head was if I get COVID, I'm not going to die of COVID, but it's probably going to put me into the spiral of a lung infection, which I might not get out of. And uh, so anyway, that was in the back of my head. And, and it really still is. Like, I don't like being sick. And I'm sick a lot, but I don't really like it. And so when I hear people get sick with COVID, even now, fully vaccinated, when people get sick and they say they're in bed for three or four or five days, like, I don't even want that. I don't want to be in bed. Right. <laughs> So I, I just don't, um, and you know, if they're in bed three or four days, I'm probably going to be in bed three or four weeks. And I just, not interested. so I, I, I am pretty careful for sure. And my personality is to take things usually to the extreme. So I'm probably more careful than I need to be. And the CM clinic isn't really worried about it that much, to be honest, but, um, I'm vaccinated and, uh, I, you know, I'm not eating in the restaurant. Like I'm not really taking any chances, but hopefully I'll be able to pull the bandaid off and get back to life. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm curious what you said a minute ago too about, and I read it on your website that you sort of saw like your cystic fibrosis as a blessing and that you were able to like, it's just like such a, it's almost the opposite story. I would think to, to what you would expect. Like you had the diagnosis first, right? Like you knew that when you sort of became and that you knew that, and then you went on to become like 11 time Ironman champion. Like, how do you build that mindset that like, instead of thinking my lungs are weak, and actually being like, I have the lungs of a champion and not just a champion in any sport, but in a sport that's like so dependent on your lungs, right? Like, like, well, how did you, and was that always ingrained in you or did you, do you feel like you kind of like improved your mindset on that over time? I definitely improved my mindset over time. Uh, but I do think the initial thought of that it is a blessing came from my, you know, my being raised by my mom and dad who sort of taught me that everything happens for a reason. And we might not understand that reason right away, but there's a reason for everything. So, you know, just stemming back to choosing a university, I believe, you know, there's a reason for everything. I believe there was a reason why I was a teacher. I believe there's a reason why I never had been able to have children. Like as much as it breaks my heart, because that was my heart of hearts was to be a mom. I believe there was a reason and, and I have to believe that. So when I was diagnosed with CF at first, I didn't really care. I was in my twenties. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like you're in your twenties, you can do anything. And then, you know, of course it, it was affecting me and affecting my racing, but I didn't want anyone to know about it because I didn't want an excuse. Like I, I never was favorable when people had excuses for things. So the last thing I needed was to say, Oh yeah, I had a bad race because I was sick. So it was just like, okay, well, I was sick. Like that's it. No, no excuse. It's just the way it is. And 
you know, I really wanted to win an Ironman. That was like such a goal for me. And I didn't want to win it with an asterisk. Was my right. Right. And in fact, I backtracked to the Pan Am Games. I went to the Pan Am Games in 1996. And um, I was actually really quite sick at that one with SCF. Uh, symptoms. Anyways, I raced at the Pan Am Games in triathlon, and that was when Silken Lauman, who people may or may not remember, great rower, she tested positive for Benadryl, which is oh, nothing. Yeah. That's unfortunate. <laughs> and she's not a drug person. She's not a, there's nothing wrong. She's, she's legit. Right? Yeah, totally. Her. Yeah, we love um, but but she tested positive because she took it, you know, cold medicine. They, the media wanted to distract from that. And they came to me and said, Lisa, can we tell your story about CF? And to get her out of the media. And, and I said, no. And they were like, what? And I'm like, well, not only do I want, not want you to tell this story because it's genetic. So you're now bringing into it my sister and my brother, my entire family. So this is going to be in the news. But I don't want, um, like, I haven't earned my stripes as an athlete yet. So I don't want to be known as Lisa Bentley, a pretty good athlete who has cystic fibrosis, like CF, CF, CF. I want to, first of all, like, make my mark. If you're going to put me on the cover of the Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail, it's because I want to race, not because I'm sick. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, I don't want my story out there. And that sort of stayed as my, as my thought until I won my first Ironman. And I just wanted to win it as me and not with this backdrop of illness. And once I won it and then continue in my career, I realized that winning was kind of a bit empty. That it's like, okay, yeah, it's great winning again, but what am I going to do with it? Like we all have a reason in what we do. And, um, you know, you've really found your reason right now with, with, do the podcast and all that you do with women you found like a purpose now you're fueled and probably if you went on the race course you'd feel so empowered by that well for me uh going into my Ironman I needed some power and I was like Lisa there's a reason you have CF there's a reason you're on antibiotics three or four times a year and and you're an athlete and you've won Ironman like there's there's like a platform there and I realized that I could bring hope to families with CF. And I didn't really realize it until I found out that um, like doctors at Sick Kids Hospital were telling the parents, you know, they'd, they'd find out that their kid, their child was diagnosed with CF. And that's devastating. Yeah. And they'd say, but do you know there's this woman that does triathlon? And she's good. She's healthy. And, you know, you have got an infant that's been diagnosed with a life-threatening lung condition. And you find out that there's this crazy woman that's racing in Hawaii and getting on the podium, all of a sudden you're like, Hey, my kid's not going to die. And that's powerful stuff. And so when I went into a race, like I, of course I was a competitor and I wanted to win or place well, but at the back of my head was you've got purpose here. Don't, don't screw this up. And you can just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And if it's a fourth place, it's a fourth place. But there could be a kid there with CF that goes, I want to be like her. And that's your power. So I, I think that was really, I know it was powerful for me. And it empowered me uh, to race and do the best that I could in every single race. So there's no question in my mind. It, uh, CF allowed me to race 33 Ironmans and 
to win 11 of them. And um, it's been, it's been my superpower. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I think I love that framing of your whole story. You know, um, I'm wondering, this is so relatable. Like I'm wondering if, were there moments, especially, you know, you said you would get sick and if you got sick, you got really sick. So like, you know, as someone who knows what it's like to get sick as an athlete, when you're in the middle of an Ironman build or something, and you're like, Oh shit. Like now I'm going to have to take this time off that I but for you, it'd be like sort of amplified as well. Like, were there times that you thought in specific moments, like, Oh, these bloody lungs, like, and then did you, how did you get yourself back to like center yourself back to like, no, this is part of my purpose. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a great story really particular about that. It was uh, 2004. I remain white. Uh, I was in really, you know, at this stage of my career, I really believed that I could put myself into a position to win the race and the training was there. And of course I was riding that race within edge of illness and incredible fitness and um, I was felt so good and I felt so fit. And then Monday before the race, I wake up with this terrible infection and I'm so sick. And luckily the doctors at St. Mike's, they, you know, they always send me, tra- send me on my travels with antibiotics. I got on some antibiotics. I started doing different therapies, <clears throat> but I was like feeling super sorry for myself. And, like, you know, I can't believe this. And, and then I realized, um, there was an incredible woman named Tracy Richardson who I met in New Zealand and she had two kids with CF and she was actually at that race and uh, she was racing to raise money for CF and I saw her on the Wednesday before the race and it's a little bit more of a detailed story than that but I'm just going to keep it brief and I, I looked at her and in that moment she has two kids with very serious CF like so serious and I looked at her and I thought to myself, shame on you, Lisa, like you're upset that you might not win the world championships, that you have a very temporary lung infection and her kids probably are going to have lung transplant, like have a reality check. And in, in that moment, I took a step back and I, I recalibrated and I said to myself, what do you have here? And I said to myself, you get to race the world championships you get to raise the best women in the world. That is an incredible gift. And you have CF. And so my promise to myself was that I was going to be the best person on the start line with cystic fibrosis and with a chest infection. And in my little pool of people, I was going to be the best. And, And that was it. And all of a sudden now, my perspective changed that I'm not... I'm not going to be Natasha Batman. I'm not going to be Lori Bowden or any of the other great athletes I was racing with. I was going to be me. And I was going to take all of me, even this terrible lung infection. And that mind, that was the mindset. That's like, that is the biggest lesson in mindset is to change perspective and look at all that I had going for me and how lucky I was to get to race the best women mm. in the world. And I got on that start line. And for those nine hours, I didn't cough. Nothing. Like I was like, it's as if God said, Lisa, for nine hours, you get to have good health. And when the race is over, you're going to be sick as a dog. And I got in that race and nothing bothered me. If you would have asked me, I would have told you it was 70 degrees, (laughs) no sun. And I ended up coming in fourth. Wow. And uh, which I would say to this day was probably the race of my life because I was able to elevate my game, 
my talent. I don't even have any talent. I was just able to elevate everything to a different level. And um, that's mindset really, because I was very, very sick the next day. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not lying that I was sick. I was really quite unwell, you know, before the race, after the race. But for it was like I was granted this gift and elevated by my mind uh, to be able to perform. And so uh, that's the, the change of perspective that I would say I've had to put into place at different times. Sometimes it's backfired. But, uh, you know, it doesn't always work. And I you know, certainly don't suggest that people do things that are bad for their health. <laughs> but um, that, that's what I, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's backfired. Tell me about that, because I think like I, I think in that case, you know, you really did the right thing. But I, I suspect that had it gone the opposite way and you'd done nothing but cough, <laughs> you probably would have made the right choice in that particular race. So, yeah. Tell me what you mean by backfiring. Well, I mean, the next year I had a really sore, um, sore side and again, in great shape, executed great workouts. The next day I'm throwing up and I've got a fever and I don't feel well and, um, you know, real bad pain in my side. We thought it could be my appendix, but then it resolved and it kind of, that was two weeks before the race. And then we got to about Tuesday before the race and I was in terrible, terrible pain got referred to a, a doctor. So now 36 hours before the race, uh, the doctor says, you know, you've got a fever, you likely have appendicitis. And I'm like, I've got an Ironman in 36 hours. I said, pain is not a problem. I said, if I am not going to hurt myself, I want to race. And he's like, you're crazy. You have 104 temperature and you probably have appendicitis. And I said, if you can tell me that I will not hurt myself, I would like to race. And he's like, promise me you'll get a CAT scan on Sunday. And I said, I promise. And so I went and I raced and I did not feel well. And I ended up um, not finishing, not by my own choice. My husband came and tapped me out and said, you're done. You're not going into the energy lab looking like that. And I had a burst appendix. So it had probably burst Tuesday before the race. I think I remember this. <laughs> so that wasn't so good. But I didn't cause the burst. Like I right. didn't cause the burst, but it was burst. But you know that was certainly a time. But again, like I, I still go back on it and say, hey, everything for a reason. And it's also, you know, what that taught me is, is that there's a big difference between fit and healthy. And I think that's really important for people listening to understand that you can't, you can't get yourself into shape without being healthy like being in great shape and being healthy are two very different things like I was in the shape of my life but I was not healthy and the appendix was like an issue and uh, so it really put into perspective for me moving forward that I need to you know I because this is my life and my lifestyle is that I need to have that balance between fit and healthy and uh, and that's really really important and, and that's something that I take into my coaching now is that I'd rather somebody be 85% fit and 100% healthy. And, uh, and and that's super important. So there's always a lesson. <laughs> yeah. And I what I'm hearing is like, you know, it really you're saying like refocusing and getting some perspective is what has helped you a lot move, to move forward. Um, I, I saw on your 
on your, one of the videos I watched earlier, uh, you were telling a story um, about being hit in the face in the swim, which this is like something that triathletes can relate to, but like any sport or any in life in general, right? Like you start out on something, which is the race, whatever that thing is. And then you've hit like the first hurdle, right? And I know this from coaching people too, that like, sometimes people give up on the first hurdle, right? <laughs> or like if there's three hurdles in a row, they just say, oh, it's not my day. Right. But what you describe with this ability to take, like getting hit in the face and the swim, losing the pack, you know, which as we know is, can be quite important to the race. And then instead of saying, oh, it's not my day. You're like, today I get to prove I'm a champion. Right. So like, I feel like that, how quickly, like, it sounds like your big broader experience of training and racing with cystic fibrosis brought you to this place where you can like, you can literally be hit in the face and think, this means I'm a champion, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I just think that's, I don't know what my, I don't know what my question is here, but I just thought like, that was a, amazing, right? Like what an amazing way to um, bring things into perspective. Like, are there things that you do with your athletes too, to like shorten that timeline between like the thing that happens, like the, the, the getting hit in the face, whatever that is, whatever that happens to be in life. And then gaining that perspective. That's like, no, I'm a champion. Keep going. <laughs> Well, I, I do remind people to always look at their assets. Like, what do you have going for you? So then if one thing happens, you got other things to fall back on and get yourself out of that tough spot. And so in that case, when I got hit in the face, my thought was like a few things had gone wrong at that stage, even though I was only five minutes into the race. <laughs> I said to myself, you know, today's the day you get to prove you're a champion. That, you know, a non-champion quits right now. And so by you keeping going, you're proving that you're a champion. And I say that only because it's so easy to call somebody a champion. Um, you know, like I, when I send an email at the bottom of my email, it says 11 to Ironman champion that, that flows so easily off the tongue, but it's, you're only a champion when you earn it, like earn those stripes. And I really think it's an adversity that you earn that title when, and so when I was, had to, when I kept swimming, I was now choosing to turn obstacles into opportunity. I said, okay, well, today's the day you're going to prove your champion, which means you take every obstacle and turn it into success. So I said, anything that happens today that's bad or seemingly bad, let's make it a positive because that's what champions do. And this is where you really earn your title. And so that became the goal. And I, of course, still wanted to win the race, but the whole goal was just to not quit because champions don't quit. And so when I'm speaking to my athletes, uh, I know certainly there's times when you can't finish every race, mm-hmm. but I say, you know, there's, you might have 45 minutes of hard work, but if you don't do that hard work, you might have 45 hours of regret. So put yourself in that position and remind yourself while you're out there, remind yourself while you're doing it. You, you've got three or four kids, you're a mom, role model for your kids. Like, can you pull something out of this? And, you know, if they do end up not wanting to finish the race, realizing, okay, now you're going to have that conversation with your kids. Like, can you do that? Are you going to be okay? Like, remove yourself from this moment. And, you know, we kind of go over all those things. And then putting it into perspective and celebrating what you can, um, celebrating whatever it is out there. So, like, some of the athletes that raced in St. George, that was such a difficult course. And some people chose to walk the whole marathon and some people chose to not walk the whole marathon. 
and that one isn't right and one isn't wrong, but it's whatever perspective you take into that. So walking the, the marathon, it was that the goal was finish, finish no matter what, because that proves that's a character builder for that particular athlete. Whereas another athlete may have chosen not to, because for them, it's more important that they're on, that they're a mother the next day or a father the next day, or that they're back in the office, et cetera. So we all have our reasons. We just have to put it into the perspective and into the environment that we're in. Mm -hmm. I love that perspective of the regret piece, you know, like when you said 45 minutes of pain or pushing through, but cause you might have 45, what did you say? 45 hours of regret, but like with, with some things in life, you know, it could be 45 days or 45 months or 45 years, right? Like to, to actually be aware in the moment of like, sometimes the importance of your own decision-making too, right? Um, exactly. But you take yourself out of the moment. I mean, I, I call it the Mickey Mouse moment when we're at Disney World, we all want to buy the ears. And I'm like, just remember next tomorrow, you're back in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, what you right? Like <laughs> this is that this is that moment. Like right now you want to quit, but put yourself to tomorrow. Right now you want to walk and not finish this run. Uh-huh. Like you don't want to be pushing it, but you don't want to spend the next 45 days saying, Oh, only if I had a run, I would have qualified for Kona. If I had run, I would have broken my best time. No, no, no. There can be zero regrets at the end of this race. You put it all out there, you can have your two-minute cry at the finish line. But after that, you're done because it's too, it's um, when you work, you work. And when you're done, you celebrate, <laughs> no matter what, what it is, whether you're a student and you're in a classroom and for those 75 minutes that you're taking algebra, focus, study so that you don't have to spend the next 10 hours relearning it again. <laughs> totally. You know, it's a big, actually, this is a story that can, that can connect us. I, um, for me, when I first started triathlon, um, and I was like, first got the triathlon magazines, like the two like Canadian triathlon heroes, it was you and Lori Bowden, right? Like you were all over those magazines when I first got them. Um, and that's when I first, like I did my first triathlon in 1999, right? Mm-hmm. So we just had this really nice, like we had a nice overlap of careers where we raced, got to race against each other, but also like you were kind of a role model for me as I was coming through. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember it was, it was a really important moment for me when I realized, and I think this comes down to the the way that you were telling the truth about what was going on during your races sometimes, or how Mm -hmm. the things that you were pushing through. When I realized that like, you know, when you were out there winning, like if we were at Ironman Canada and you were out there winning and I was like struggling into fifth place, you know, I think I assumed before that, that you had a perfect day, you know, and I was the one with all the problems. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if only this hadn't happened and I'd had a perfect day like Lisa did. Right. But, but that's actually not true at all. Right. And it's like, really speaks to what you're saying is like, once I realized, oh, actually the people who are winning are winning despite their challenges as well. And, and only controlling what they can control and, and sort of pushing through the the hard things. So I think, um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate the way that you've the honest way that you've told your story too. Um, okay. I want to ask you about, you, you say, you said on your website, you give keynotes on winning in life and thinking like a champion, right? Um, what does winning in life mean to you? What does that, what does that look like? Winning in life is about being the best that you can be with what you have. It's about maximizing your strength. It's about loving yourself, being your own biggest fan and exceeding expectations, going above and beyond, um, getting out of your comfort zone. That's 
that's where I want people to get to. I don't want people to be afraid to live. Mm. And so I relate it, of course, to sport because in, you know, in my opinion, adversity leads to greatness. It's in the biggest, it's in our biggest challenges that we find our biggest rewards. So we can often get stuck in our life. We can get stuck in our routines. And it's just so important to get out of that comfort zone, to be afraid. And when we are afraid and we have to problem solve, that's when the, the greatness gets released and the beauty of ourselves gets released. Uh, and we don't have to accept everything about ourselves, but we have to be smart enough to know when we need to change something. Uh, but we also have to be kind enough to ourselves to sometimes accept ourselves for the people that we are. And so I try to communicate that with people and, and also, of course, uh, exceeding those expectations, never just settling, uh, looking for trying to always be better, uh, but always coming back to the same thing of being your own biggest fan. And I tell that to athletes that I coach as well uh, is the first question I'm going to ask you when you cross the finish line is, were you kind to yourself? Like, did you beat yourself up? Mm-hmm. criticize yourself or were you kind to yourself and I think we have to be kind to ourselves and and we go through it all the time and I still go through it I mean I, I haven't perfected anything I have to use my own strategies I always remind myself Lisa, you better read your own book because right now you need you need that but um you know I'll think like I, I it's always been hard for me to travel even when I was an athlete and I love what I did but leaving home was always hard I'm out of my comfort zone but no matter what, I'd always come back a better person because I'd learn and I'd get out of my comfort zone and that made me better. But um, it's always been a struggle. And then, of course, with COVID, we didn't go anywhere for two years. Now, all of a sudden, I'm back traveling again and it's like a little bit of a struggle. I've got to find my niche. And, um, and then I kind of was getting upset at myself. Like, Lisa, what are you, why can't you handle this? And then I'd say, well, you're handling it pretty good. You're not at home. You've rented a car. You've right. gone to the grocery store. You figured out your way around here. Like you're like a local now, like stop being hard on yourself. Like you might miss everybody, but you're doing a pretty good job. But you are handling it. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. handling it. Exactly. You can, yeah. you can handle it and still miss your dog. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You know, so, um, so that's where we come back to being your own biggest fan and really congratulating yourself for doing things that are extraordinary. And, and they might, I'm sorry, I say extraordinary. They don't have to be extraordinary. They just have to be good. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I try to remind people in, in, that there's only one way to be perfect. And one of my athletes actually said this to me. And so I'm stealing her words, but they resonate so well. There's only one way to be perfect, but there's thousands of ways to be great. And so we need to be great. We don't have to be perfect. And, and just like you were saying about when we race together, oh, Lisa must have had the, the perfect day or whatever. Like I never had the perfect. I think one of my most perfect days, I came in second at St. Croix. That was a pretty perfect day. But but we all had non-perfect days, but we were all pretty great. <laughs> and, you know, I think now if we can revisit some of those races that we didn't win and go, okay, that was pretty good coming to third, wasn't it? <laughs> like, I oh, totally. that right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. I hear you. And then the other thing you said somewhere was about um, about dealing with pressure. Right. Where you were feeling like, you know, if you had, um, you had, were coming back maybe as the returning champion at a race or something like that. And you felt like, okay, but the pressure is like, 
coming out of my success, right? How do you, what do you recommend for your athletes to you in terms of dealing with pressure? I mean, the only reason you feel pressure is because you've had success. So we feel pressure because I was able to win races or be on the podium. So if I don't want to have pressure, then that really means I didn't want to win, <laughs> which is ridiculous. I worked really hard to be successful. Mm-hmm. So I turned pressure into privilege. We hear that more and more now as a buzzword, but I really believe that, you know, 15 years ago, the pressure you feel, Lisa, is an absolute like gift. <laughs> That's because you worked hard. That's why you pressure. And, and so I reframed it into pressure um, was really good wishes. It was really people just wishing me well. And again, you would have experienced that at Ironman Canada. That was our home race. Everyone wanted you to win. And so that would make you feel pressure. But really, it was really just people loving you. It's love. Pressure is love. And so I told that to my athletes, of course, because as amateurs, the goal is to qualify for Hawaii, to have the kids be proud of them, all those things. And it's like, no, 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 we have to forget about that. Everyone just loves you so much. They want to see you achieve those goals. But that'll all happen if we just go through the journey. Like if you're go through swim, bike, run. At the end of the day, it's swim, bike, run. <laughs> that's, that's all we're doing. So forget about Kona. Forget about trophies and podiums. And uh, it's, it's hard enough as it is. <laughs> 3.8K swim, 180K bike, 42K run. That's hard enough. Don't think about anything else. <laughs> totally. And it's true for life too, right? Like, and I think, and it's also true for the pressure that we put on ourselves. So if you, you know, if you're putting pressure, if I, well, for me anyway, if I'm putting pressure on myself for something, it's because I've got this little inkling of like what my potential might be. And so I'm putting pressure on myself to get there. Right. So ultimately there's this like self-belief piece that's meeting like a (laughs) self-doubt right in a moment. So like that pressure, if I didn't, like, if I didn't actually, if there wasn't part of me that actually believed in myself, I wouldn't feel that self-pressure in the first place. Right. So like lean into that. Like, I love that. Like the pressure is actually a good thing. The pressure is like a symptom of the fact that you actually believe in yourself and other people believe in you. A hundred percent. If you didn't care, you wouldn't have any pressure. If you didn't get out of your comfort zone, you wouldn't have any pressure. I mean, we can all live a pressure-free life if we never leave our, our room and people just live. <laughs> but what, what do we, you know, you don't do the same thing for 50 years and call it a life. Yeah. You know, we have to, we have to do that. We risk, we're vulnerable, we fail, we succeed. I mean, there's no failure. I never believe in that. We learn and we grow, but we have to, um, I mean, I think it's important to living full to, to get our hearts broken and to stumble and to fall. Mm. And we come back stronger for sure. Every single time. Uh, and, uh, you know, you need, you need your, you need your dream team around you. Of course, everybody needs that dream team uh, around them and people that love and that will pick them up again. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So is there anything before we go that we haven't covered that you'd like to tell our audience? We have, I'd say an audience of people who are really, um, from across all sports, but who really identify with the word performance, because that's what we named the podcast, the women's performance podcast. So is there anything you would say to those people or leave them with? Be your best self. Um, Lead with your heart. Heart is the essence of all performance. Any performance, peak performance, being your best, winning races, winning in life, it comes from your heart. If you really love what you're doing Mm -hmm. and love yourself and love the people around you, your colleagues, you will, you will reach peak performance every single time, but it really does come from the heart. And, and I really believe that the heart elevates talent. It elevates mindset. It elevates 
the person and the character and the integrity that you have. So lead with your heart and performance will follow. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I believe that too. Thank you. Um, okay. Where, if people want to hear more from you, where can we find you? Do we buy a book? Where do we follow you? Uh, my website, lisabentley.com. Uh, so I have a blog there and I've got my book there. And of course on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram, Lisa underscore Bentley one, two, three. Uh, but love to hear from, from people. And clearly if you're on listening to this podcast, you're uh, a strong person and I salute you for your strength. And, and I just wish everybody their best. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. 
It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match. And then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose.